I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain how sick he is. That I am the lucky one for having a brain where all my chemicals flow properly to their destination like an undamped river. When I complain about how bored I am without my little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine, considering he's confined to a dark room in an institution. I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course, they did at first. Charlie has been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time without fail, it all starts again. The neighbourhood cat, with their gouged out eyes showing up in his toy chest. My dad's razors, found dropped on the baby slide in the park across the street. My mum's vitamins, replaced by dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances spurringly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normalcy and to trick the doctors who care for him into thinking he's ready for rehabilitation. That I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. He makes me have to pretend to be good until he's back. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast, where we explore the darkest parts of human history. Hope everybody is well, I'm Rob, your host as always. Welcome to the new episode. I hope you enjoyed our short little ghost story to start. As Halloween is upon us, over the next month we will be taking a more supernatural path, with an episode every week up to our Halloween special. This is the first instalment of our spooky season special and we're better to start than with demons and demonic possession. Whatever your beliefs are in demonic possession or demons as a whole, you have to admit that listening to accounts makes the hair on the back of your neck stand on end. Because whether you believe it or not, nobody actually truly knows what happens when we die. While demonic possession remains a belief held by some. It is important to note that in modern times, many cases that have once been attributed to possession have been reinterpreted as mental or medical disorders. Regardless of one's beliefs, the concept of demonic possession continues to be a captivating and unsettling aspect of human culture and mythology, evoking both fascination and fear. So without further ado, please turn off those lights, sit back and relax under the blanket for more Dark History. Demonic possession is a topic that's captured the human imagination for centuries, often depicted in folklore, literature and film. 
It's believed that an individual's body and mind can be taken over by malevolent supernatural entities, typically referred to as demons or evil spirits. Describing a demonic possession involves delving into the realms of the supernatural and the macabre. In popular perceptions of demonic possession, the possessed is typically characterised by several eerie and unsettling signs and symptoms. These may include drastic personality changes, speaking in tongues or unfamiliar languages, superhuman strength, aversion to religious symbols or holy objects, and the ability to predict future events or possess knowledge beyond the possessed person's normal capabilities. Physical manifestations often accompany these psychological and behavioural changes, such as a contorted body position, unnatural movement, and an inhuman growl or scream. The onset of possession is often shrouded in mystery, with victims usually experiencing a period of vulnerability or susceptibility due to emotional or psychological distress. This can make them more susceptible to the influence of malevolent forces. Demonic possession is typically believed to occur as a result of a pact with the devil, an intervention through the occult practices, or simply as a random and unfortunate account with a malevolent spirit. Exorcism A religious or spiritual ritual performed by trained individuals known as an exorcist is often depicted as the means to rid the possessed person of a demonic entity. Exorcisms are intense, dramatic and emotionally charged events involving the use of holy water, prayers and the commanding of the demon to leave the victim's body. Tales of demonic possession have been used to explain unusual and disturbing behaviours that could not be easily understood or treated through medical or psychological means. These stories often serve as a cautionary tale, emphasising the battle between good and evil, and the importance of faith and spirituality in confronting dark forces. Our first creepy tale takes us to Somerset, England, and a man named George Lukins. The possession of George Lukins, also known as the Yatton Demoniac, is a historical case of alleged demonic possession that took place in Yatton, England, in the late 18th century. This case is often cited as one of the most well-documented instances of possession during that era. George Lukens, a tailor, began exhibiting strange and alarming behaviour in 1788. His symptoms included speaking in languages he never learned, experiencing violent convulsions, and displaying an aversion to religious symbols and prayers. One of the foremost features of his fit was that he sang and screamed loudly in different sounds. Some of the sounds he made during the states of trance did not resemble any type of modulation of the human voice. Lucan's claimed to be possessed by multiple demons, including ones he named as Cripple and Blue Flame. These entities allegedly tormented him 
both physically and psychologically. The local community became deeply concerned about Lucan's condition and word of his possession spread, attracting the attention of clergymen, physicians and curious onlookers. The case garnered significant notoriety and became a subject of intense public interest. There are many conflicting accounts regarding the reasons of the demonic possession of George Lucan. His family had taken him to several doctors, only to meet with disappointment when they could not figure out the reasons behind his erratic behaviour, despite their best efforts. It was even recommended that Lukens be observed over an 18 month long stay at St George's Hospital in London. However, the fits did not go away, and the gossip in his local community soon branded him as cursed, bewitched or possessed by a demon. Just like everyone else, George Lukens himself was completely dumbfounded by the reason for his fits. According to the testimony of Lucans, the possession started when he was performing a part in a murmur's play one Christmas. At the time, a young Lucans was making his way through the streets when he experienced someone slapping him so hard that he fell unconscious on the road. The slap, as many also referred to as the divine slap, had also been attributed to him consuming alcohol at the time, according to people who knew him. Shortly after the incident of the slap, Lucans started showing abnormal behaviour, such as seizures with strange barking noises. The most distinctive highlight of Lucans' behaviour was the unexplainable and vigorous twitching of his right hand. Reverend Joseph Easterbrook was an Anglican vicar at the Temple Church in Bristol, England when he came across one of the most controversial cases in his clerical career. On May 31st, 1778, a member of his parish came to him with quite an unnatural request. Sir Barber, his parishioner, had recently paid a visit to the nearby town of Yatton in Somerset and had witnessed a man inflicted with an unexplained condition. Lukens was summoned to Bristol and Reverend Easterbrook examined George Lukens directly. Several exorcisms were performed on George Lukens in an attempt to rid him of his supposed demons. These exorcisms were often dramatic and highly ritualistic, involving prayers, holy water, and the recitation of religious texts. Witnesses claimed that Lukens would react violently during these rituals sometimes requiring multiple people to restrain him. After the clergyman condemned the demon to leave George's body and return to hell, he appeared to return to normalcy. The accounts of Reverend Easterbrook state that he exclaimed prayers for the Lord Jesus and recited the Lord's Prayer. What's more interesting about this case is that the recounting offered by Reverend Easterbrook appears to be a successful exorcism. He stated that people in the modern era would find it hard to believe that the exorcism of George Lukens was indeed true. Eventually, Lukens recovered fully and returned to a relatively normal life.
The next unfortunate tale is a rather famous one, thanks to the 2016 horror film The Exorcism of Anna Eklund. Anna Eklund was a pseudonym for Emma Schmidt, and Emma Schmidt was born in Milwaukee on March the 23rd, 1882, and raised in a Catholic household in Marathon, Wisconsin. Very little is known about her parents, but it's estimated that her mother died in approximately 1890, leaving Emma in the clutches of her abusive and alcoholic father. Emma was a very devout Catholic, but suddenly, beginning at the age of 14, she found herself unable to enter a church without violent thoughts entering her mind. She was consumed with the idea of smashing holy water fonts and harming the priest. She could not bring herself to receive communion, and all consecrated items caused revulsion. Soon, she simply could not enter a church at all, and she was being held back by an interior, hidden power. When a local church got involved in helping the tormented woman, they contacted Father Theophilius Reisinger. On June 18, 1912, Eklund underwent an exorcism by Father Reisinger, a Capuchin priest originally from Bavaria in Germany. Entrusted by Bishop Thomas Dunn of Des Moines, Iowa, Reisinger had been a monk at the community of St. Anthony's in Marathon, Wisconsin. Little was documented concerning this initial exorcism, as Eklund was not consulted for over two decades after the 1912 exorcism. In the summer of 1928, Reisinger was again consulted to perform a second exorcism on Eklund. Father Joseph Steiger of Ealing, Iowa, a friend of Reisinger, suggested the exorcism to be undertaken at a convent owned by Franciscan sisters in Ealing. Eklund was taken to the convent on August 17, 1928, and reportedly exhibited numerous symptoms including falling into fits of rage over food that had been sprinkled with holy water and hissing like a cat. With the help of the Franciscan sisters of the convent, the exorcism began on August the 18th. The exorcism was reportedly violent, with Eklund levitating, howling and hanging from the frame of the doorway. The first session lasted until August the 26th, a second session occurred between September the 13th and September the 20th, followed by a final eight-day session that lasted from December 15th to December 23rd, 1928. The extensive exorcism resulted in the deterioration of Eklund's body, as she refused to consume food, also vomiting foul debris and what was appeared to be tobacco leaves. Her head lips and face reportedly swelled, and she also was able to speak in multiple languages unknown to her. The exorcism was reportedly so grueling, and Eklund's behaviour so violent, that several nuns in the Franciscan order asked to be relocated to a different convent. Eklund was believed to be possessed by Judas Iscariot, as well as Jacob, her own father, who had cursed her with the help of his lover, her Aunt Mina, 
for refusing him incestuous sexual advances during her adolescence. During the exorcism, Eklund also spoke in a high falsetto voice, which Reisinger interpreted as the voice of her Aunt Mina. On December the 23rd, the final day of the exorcism, Father Reisinger commanded the demon in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, through the incantation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, to depart to hell. Eklund collapsed on her bed and began to shriek, Beelzebub. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9pm Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Judas, Jacob, Mina, followed by Hell, Hell, Hell. She opened her eyes and then spoke in her own voice. Say my Jesus mercy. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Risinger's exorcism was reportedly successful and Anna Eklund only exhibited milder and quite manageable possessions after it. Her true identity was kept protected from the public in written accounts and she died in 1942 aged 59 our final tale is very modern surprisingly but unlike the others ends in tragedy in January 2005 23 year old Marikia Irina Korniki moved to Tanku Monastery She was born in a broken family, and following her father's suicide, she and her brother grew up in an orphanage. When she was 19, she worked as a nanny in Germany, and then for a family in Banat. A friend of hers from the orphanage became a nun at Tanaku Monastery, and she encouraged her to also become a nun. Soon after, she began giggling during masses, and by April, her mental state had deteriorated and the doctors at the local psychiatric hospital diagnosed her with schizophrenia. After two weeks of treatment, they released her into the care of the monastery. Kaniki's friend also stated that she'd never exhibited signs of mental health, and her brother testified that he was with her when he saw Satan go into her, and also maintained she'd suffered from demonic possession. Father Corrigino, a priest at the convent, thought that it was not just mental illness, but rather, Kaniki was possessed by Satan. He would later claim that you can't take the devil out of people with pills, and that the exorcism was necessary. In order to restrain her from violent movements, including those causing her to hit herself, The nuns bound her hands and feet and locked her in a room as they participated in the liturgy commemorating the ascension of Jesus. A few days later, they chained her to a cross with her arms stretched and carried her into the church so that they could anoint her. 
According to Sister Nicoletta Arcalianu, Kaniki had been restrained in the same manner that others who were demonically possessed had been. Sister Arcalianu stated that had Kaniki not been restrained, she could have either killed herself or killed someone else. With regards to Kaniki, Sister Arcalianu stated that Irina knew that she was possessed by evil spirits because she was begging us to tie her up and help her. Her wrists and forearms were anointed with holy oil and she was kept in the church for three days. They put a towel in her mouth to stop her from cursing and prayed to cast out the devil as they wet her lips with holy water. Kaniki was then moved to her room. She was later given bread and tea and fated after eating. The nuns could not awaken her and feeling that her pulse was weak, they called for an ambulance. While in the ambulance, she was administered six doses of adrenaline. By the time she reached the hospital, she was dead. Father Corriginu and the four nuns who helped him were charged with murder and depriving a person of liberty. Prosecutors sought a life sentence for Corriginu, but he was sentenced in 2007 to 14 years in prison. While the nuns, Nicoletta Arcalianu, Adina Capraga, Elena Rotla, and Simona Bardanis were sentenced to between five and eight years. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this dark episode. Myself, I'm not really a believer in God or the devil. Don't judge me, that's just my beliefs. I do believe in ghosts, just not two entities that are fighting a spiritual war. I believe your spirit goes on to another plane, and sometimes it crosses over. So with possession, myself I believe it could be a dark spirit entering a person's body. But I really am sceptical that it's a malevolent spirit from hell. The case of George Lucans remains a historical curiosity and a subject of debate. Some view it as a genuine case of demonic possession, while others attribute it to symptoms of psychological or medical factors. Regardless of the causes, it serves as a reminder of the deep-seated belief in demonic possession and the often dramatic and complex ways in which such cases were handled in the past. Today, it continues to be studied by scholars interested in the history of the paranormal and the supernatural. Anna Eklund's case continues to be cited in discussions about intersections of faith, the supernatural and the human psyche. To me, it sounds like the people who instigated the exorcisms, mainly Reisiger, took advantage of a mentally ill woman and tortured her. I mean, her identity was changed, and the whole story of refusing to consume food just sounds like abuse to me. Also, him saying, well, it's more manageable now and she's only possessed a little bit. Really? Are the levels to this yet? I thought it was all or nothing. It's either your mortal soul or nothing. As for the last one, they just straight up murdered her and claimed she was possessed and they deserve to rot in prison. Anyway, 
please drop us a review on the show. It helps the podcast out. If you think friends and family may be interested in the podcast, then share it with them. Links to all socials are below. Don't forget, if you want to support the channel, the link to the show's Patreon is below also. This is where you can find our This Week in History episode. As always, if you've been listening for a while and not subscribed, please do so. In that way, you never miss an episode. So with all that out of the way, thank you again for listening. Join us next time for our next episode as we delve into another event and more dark history. History.